How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 112. I sat down with Dr. Gretchen Hathaway at Union College, and she is the Dean of Diversity and Inclusion there. She's also the Chief Diversity Officer. She's also an author. She wrote a book called A Bonded Friendship. It's available uh, on Amazon, but I'll have a link for it at heyhumanpodcast.com's link page. So definitely check that out. Um, This episode is dedicated to a really lovely Mabel Severe. um, Gonna miss you, Mabel. And uh, yeah, that's my best friend Ellen's dog. She's a great dog, and I loved her very much and will love her forever, (laughs) as that's the way it is with dogs. And uh, so, yeah, this one's for you, Mabes. Anyway, uh, for those of you in New York, um, if you're around this Saturday, July 7th, please come to Rockwood Music Hall and check out A Night of Music with me and Nikki Fernandez. It's at 7.30, and you can get tickets through the Rockwood Music Hall website, or you can go on a link. uh, There's a link on SusanRuth.com as well. Uh, Social media stuff, Hey Human Podcast, it's in all those places. Please subscribe to Hey Human on iTunes, rate and review it. It's really helpful, and uh, I appreciate it. Um, Don't forget that there's now the Hey Human poster. It's... uh, a really cool image of me. I went and got body painted, and the posters are available on the store page uh, in, at heyhumanpodcast.com. And as always, there'll be lots of links on the links page. And you can email me at susan at heyhumanpodcast.com with any comments, questions, or if you know somebody cool that you think would be great for the show, let me know. Um, if you shop on Amazon, please do so through the Hey Human Podcast homepage. There is an Amazon portal. Click on that portal, shop on Amazon like you normally would, and it helps support Hey Human. Um, that's pretty much it for business. So, yeah, uh, Dr. Hathaway and I had a really fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, hopefully, you do as well. Thanks for listening and. Uh, here we go. Dr. Gretchel Hathaway, welcome to Hey Human. Wow, this is great. This is wonderful. Thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So you are the, uh, the head of inclusion and diversity here at Union College, which is where we are. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful campus. Um, and that role for you means what? Wow. When I first got the role, it for me meant that I had responsibilities to the students here um, Mm -hmm. to ensure that they had a quality education that included making them culturally competent. Um, I only have four years to do that. Uh, So I work with students, uh, faculty, um, and the administration here on our diversity initiatives, our diversity goals, offering workshops, um, advice, and sometimes incentives for, especially when our students receive awards in the work that they do around Mm -hmm. equity, social justice, and things like that. 
Culturally competent. That's an interesting <laughs> phrase. Um, can we dig into that a little bit? Sure. So for me, everybody's on a spectrum of cultural competency, and there's been a lot of research on this. Um, and you can start out with a person who really doesn't understand um, to a person who's quite expert in cultural competency. Mm-hmm. Um, for myself, I will never be that top person. I'm always going to learn about other cultures and other pe- people's way of being. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy doing that kind of work. Um, so my goal is see where a student is on that spectrum and get them higher, no matter whether it's a small step or a bigger step. Uh, better understanding of maybe a group of people that their family might have had issues about. Um, better understanding about other folks' reason for wanting different types of music, different types of religion, um, the intersectionality of identities, and really trying to recognize that um, it's not just about race, it's not just about gender, but there is an intersection um, of how a person is or what their being is, and taking the time to learn what that might be, Mm -hmm. whether it's a person, one individual, or whether it's taking advantage of understanding a culture. Do you feel that the very nature of attending a university opens uh, a student up to those possibilities more so than if they just... Going from high school to college is a huge adjustment Mm -hmm. for anyone, Mm -hmm. open or not open, you know, aware or not aware. Um, Do you find that people stepping into the, the college, the university environment already gives them a sense of wonder where where you can then go in and expand that it gives them a sense of wonder but it also is probably the only opportunity in their four years in life or if they go to a two-year college two years to actually kind of ask the questions that about another that's different from you um, mm-hmm. in a pretty safe environment. Mm-hmm. Or um, it can be a challenging question. And that's what we offer. We offer safe spaces to handle really tough, challenging questions around culture, race, identity. Um, and and you can ask the question because you don't know. You can ask the question because you may have learned this about a group or where it's a preconceived notion. And the goal is to kind of address and pull apart that preconceived notion. Um, usually preconceived notions are negative. Um, prejudices are negative. Um, and so to really, this is the time you need to do that. This is the time most students grapple about their own religion. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love is when you're thinking about your own religion, you're learning about another religion, and you are actually doing some comparison of what's the same, what's different. Mm-hmm. Um, for many of our students, they say, you know, I grew more into my religion mm-hmm. because I've learned from another religion. I had to learn about more about my religion to articulate some of the concepts we were kind of dealing with yeah. in this challenging setting. And so I want everybody to take that opportunity while they're here. Because when you get out in the world world, you don't have workshops, groups, meetings on these topics. Um, and if you do, it's an employment-related issue, not a personal growth mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. So you become a conduit for these students to be able to explore these feelings. 
is is Union College a historically it started as a religious no we were not historically religious at all for some reason I thought the Methodists or something no there were three Protestant religion leaders who started the college Mm -hmm. uh, with no religion in mind so we cannot say that we were based on like a Lutheran religion or any Mm -hmm. one particular religion Mm -hmm. Um, and it was the first school to have done that Um, and you know, religion is brought up here as easily as um, culture, as easily as race, um, as one of the kind of top issues, gender, well, LGBT. Well, and culture are so intertwined. Exactly, anyway. yeah. exactly. But people need to understand that there are also cultures around cultures, intercultures. So you have, there's an LGBT culture, there is a, a religious culture, there is um, women has a, have a different culture when they're around each other. You have race, and even within those races, there are different cultures. So trying to take the time to to learn about all of that can be fun. Mm. Um, it can be intellectually stimulating. Mm. Um, some of our students have actually done some research about what what is the culture like here. What what's our campus climate like? Um, and I love it because they come back with these great ideas, where are our weaknesses they've assessed, where are our strengths, and we take that information mm-hmm. and we say, okay, they want more time to dialogue. Let's offer more dialogue programming for, programming for next year. Mm-hmm. Every year the college does some kind of uh, campus climate survey. Um, so it, it, the most recent was one year was religion, the next was um, Title IX, sexual assault. Um, LGBT. So we try to understand what's going on in that world and how is union um, welcoming and inclusive in that event and where are we not doing the right thing. And then we place a focus on ensuring that our students hear that, yeah, you're just filling out a survey, but we do do something with that survey, Mm -hmm. number one, and then they see the results Mm -hmm. right in action. How do you inform yourself in order to inform them? Because we're talking about so many layers yeah. of. I it, mean, it's, it's why it's why I don't ever will never consider myself one you know one of the top people doing in uh, cultural competency. I just I want to learn more. Mm-hmm. So um, and I place myself in in situations where. It's challenging. So, um, you know, I have no problems going with a girlfriend to the synagogue because I want to learn a little bit more. Uh, going to a talk about Palestine-Israel issues because I just want to know more and I want to know both sides. So if I hear one side, I'm going to try to find the speaker for the other side. You know what I mean? Um, so, but I also correct myself. I just published an article. I'm really ticked off at myself. It was so gendered. I went, this is not good. Gretchen, you should know how not to use pronouns and just, uh, you know, use they and there, but it's out, you know, mm-hmm. and it's under my name and it's something I will kind of, you know, hit myself with a wet noodle for doing, mm-hmm. but I want to learn every day. I really, really do. Um, and I want, I want to excite these kids, these students here, to mm-hmm. learn something mm-hmm. every day about themselves, but also about others. But see, in, in your own, you feel that that was a failing, but again, as, a, as an educator, right? Mm-hmm. You can look at that as a, a great moment to then say, to write the next paper and say, hey, exactly. I did this, and mm-hmm. this is historically why you know, we we think the way we think or we write mm-hmm. it's our mm-hmm. default mm-hmm. right and um so i think actually maybe 
Yes, and it's the era. Yeah, it's an era that you're in, right? So my era of writing was you put, you know, he she on everything, right? Um, This new era of writing, you have to really think, rethink. If you want to be inclusive in your writing, you want people to actually read it and to actually understand. And here I am writing about diversity, and I make this era. Mm -hmm. It's something that, for me, will be a story I will tell. When I'm standing in front of a crowd, when I'm with students, um, we all can make those errors. Mm -hmm. The question is, do we learn from them? Mm -hmm. So if you do a microaggression and someone has confronted you on it, did you take ownership and say, you're right, that I shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry? Mm -hmm. Or did you begin to defend? Uh, You're too sensitive, or you know, I was only joking. Um, And really take a look at your own behavior because apologizing and recognizing and listening to the other person is where I want you to be. Defending yourself for something that clearly is just an error on your part isn't going to help build relationships. From that standpoint, Hadi, where are you in the spectrum of understanding people who get very frustrated with the quote-unquote PC culture and Mm -hmm. what microaggressioning means and... My goodness, we can edit that out. Uh, that was a microaggression. Uh, uh, and feeling that we have become a culture that is uh, coddled. And because I think a lot of people feel that way. Now, I am, I'm absolutely all for inclusion and understanding. And in fact, I think in order to know who you are, you need to know who you are not and, right. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a lot of that there's a lot of insular being Mm -hmm. in the world yeah it seems as if so i don't use the word pc because pc stands for politically correct right i I use the the word right that's the phraseology and i will say to them no let's call it essay socially correct Mm. what is socially correct when you go and you sit down and you have all of these spoons and forks in front of you and get ready to have a meal and you cannot figure out which one to use for the shrimp on your plate right Socially correct means that you had the etiquette, the learning to pick up the right fork. Mm-hmm. I was right? Go with spoon. Okay. No, it's a. It's actually a shrimp. It's a shrimp fork. Um, and so you then you learn that. Okay, but you're willing to also take that chance. Politically correct is. I mean, I look at the politics in the world today, and I'm sorry, it is not on it, it, it on it. Number one, on a socially correct level nor intellectually correct level. Um, the kind of backbiting, the kind of immaturity that I see um, being played out is really going to negatively affect any kind of push towards inclusive behavior mm-hmm. um, and people feeling comfortable. This is an uncomfortable world we live in right now. Everybody is feeling uncomfortable. The whole aspect of inclusion means We're going to hear your voice. We're going to want you at the table, but we're also going to show you which fork to use, right? We're also going to want you to have some dessert and be part of the conversation. Um, And for those folks who are uncomfortable with that, um, and when they talk, they, to me, saying the word and using the word PC is just an excuse for you not to hear, not to want to hear. Which you have that right to means that you won't have that personal growth that would be expected from you. 
Um, and therefore, you stay in your world if that's the world you want to be in. But don't be surprised if you have conflicts every day based on that because you have to walk out of your door dealing with humans. Mm-hmm. And humans are a bunch of different identities. Um, and it's been too many years where we have pushed down cultures and oppressed people and we're still doing it. And we're using language that... Um, really hurts individuals, mm. hurts communities, on top of using the language you are using money to do that as well. Um, and so people who have the means to gloat, advertise, be out there um, in reference to politically correct or not correct and deciding that I'm, I'd rather you know, say what I want to say, I don't care who is listening um, because I know I'm right, those kind of folks have that power. And it's not until, you know, I love these young folks who are uh, speaking up now. They're high school kids. I mean, mm-hmm. speaking up now in reference to the, uh, the issues around guns and gun Your control. Fear, the Parkland kids. The Parkland kids. Yeah. Um, I, I, I question that if these were many students of color, how would we look at this, right? Number one, I question the concept of privilege. Um, those who can walk out might have the grade point average or the privilege to walk out and not suffer the consequences coming back in the door of their school. I question the schools. Why are they not allowing these young people to speak? It's their voice. It's clearly what social justice should be about. Um, and they're doing it and they're doing it right. Um, so I, I, you know, so there are a lot of questions around that. Um, so I wonder if this, if this, if it was an effect on women, like young women, would we have a voice? How loud can we be? Um, if it's um, young African-Americans, when Black Lives Matter came out, it was all about the whose life matters, not about the concept behind it. You know, the fact that I have to worry about my son getting pulled over, my daughter getting pulled over. Um, and yet I know that my next door neighbor doesn't have to do that with their children, mm-hmm. okay? Um, so when people talk about politically correct, I always say, okay, that's just a defensive mode. Let's just take that off the table, and then let's just look at what the real issues are socially. Mm-hmm. Socially, I want to be in front of you, and I want to be able to say what I want to say, and you want to be able to say what you want to say. And if either one of us gets hurt, ouch, but let's, then, let's work around what that ouch means to mm-hmm. us. Let's really go deep on that and then get to know each other better. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it is that, I'm say white people, why do you think it is that white people feel that they are justified in speaking to the, the cause of people of color? Or to that end, why are men justified to speak to the cause of um, women? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had this discussion a lot of times is with people who say, you know what, the skin you're wearing doesn't, doesn't red flag you to anyone. If you can operate through the world invisible um in a in a, in a way mm-hmm. um then you don't really understand and it's very hard for you to speak to what it's like to not have that as a woman mm-hmm. um the idea that for men when we're so like for little boys you don't grow up teaching or you don't bring up little boys teaching them okay when you walk to your car at night make sure you have a key sticking out to protect mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. always look in the back seat you know, um, when you are in an unfamiliar place, really have your radar up because 
you don't know if danger lurks. That's not to instill irrational fears. That's just the reality of being a mm-hmm, woman mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and a man, you know, getting to say what we do with our bodies or how our bodies are treated or what happens. I just read about the, um, for example, the, the bill with transgender in prison. And, and they've rolled back now saying that whatever gender you were born with is the prison you're being placed in, which puts these, you know, men women in, so in, mm-hmm. in big men danger. And women in too, danger. Andrew, mm-hmm. But it's especially, I, I feel mm-hmm. like the transgender women in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we get around that? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is what you do, right? I'm sure you mm-hmm. have some students that come mm-hmm. to you and say, I don't see what the big deal is. Right. Why doesn't mm-hmm. everybody just get along to get along kind of thing? Right. You know? um, how do you deal with that? So I actually think, I don't think it's all women or all men, first of all, so I'll set that aside. I actually think you can learn from another person. So when, when we think about what's going on in the prisons right now, the people who are making these decisions have never stepped in the shoes of a person who's trans. I wonder if they've ever met a person who's trans, <laughs> yes. just based on the fact that these decisions were made. Sure. If we are not a- allowing folks to make these decisions for themselves, go to the experts. Go to the expert in trans and say, what is the pros and the cons of doing this? Who is it going to hurt? And then I sit back and say, what is going on in your mind if you think it's safe to put someone in a situation that's truly going to endanger them. I mean, trans get killed on a higher perspective than any other uh, group of people, right? So based on that, just based on that, not even based on the color of their skin, just based on that, the fact that they're trans, not even based on their religion. If you haven't done setting policies like this without actually doing the legwork on the history of the people that you're affecting, is not good for our community. It's not good for our world. If we if we don't begin to actually think intellectually, and I know that people are actually putting down colleges and intellect right now, um, and we base these decisions just on how we feel, not on reality, not based on the other person's decision. It is my decision to do what I want with my body, right? It is my it is my decision. To have other people, and especially men, determine what I can do with my own self means that they are not educated with what women go through. Mm -hmm. And don't throw at me your religion, because there are lots of religions out there. So yes, your specific religion might mean that to you, Mm -hmm. but your religion does not mean that to me. Mm -hmm. And let's sit here and let's talk about why not. Mm -hmm. People who are making decisions are not talking to the actually people to the people that it affects. Yeah, it's interesting. The word sanctity gets thrown around yeah. a lot. And um, I always find it fascinating who a person is willing to to put in that box mm-hmm. versus not. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a conversation with my, with my dad uh, about, we were talking about the prison system and the death penalty and abortion and mm-hmm. all these different things. And, uh, and I said, you know, it's really interesting to me that People get, for example, uh, education in prison, which I think is so important, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm a big champion for that. And I said it's it's as if people just assume once you've entered prison that you are no longer valuable. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, if you were to educate an Albert Einstein versus 
a person in prison, who are you most likely to find value in? I said, I don't know. I haven't met either people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I don't get to decide who's more valuable. I understand Albert Einstein is a genius, but I guarantee you the prison is full up of genius. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because what does genius do when not uh, cultivated? It it tends to find other things to do with itself. Exactly. Right? And And what if that Einstein mind... It's in the prison. It is and, in the and, prison. Yeah. And we have not tapped right. what's there. Um, you know, one of the things that, 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 you know, research has shown is that people who, you know, get an education wind up doing better. So if you're giving a person in prison and, and they have broken some rule and, and, you know, don't even talk. We can go into the mm. whole, you know, high school to prison pipeline that we have, and especially for people of color. So now you've placed them in a place where they're not even getting educated, yet they want that, yet they need that, right? Um, to, to take that away to, or to not put it in at all would mean that when I think about our society, a prison is just a sentence. So it's two years, five years, 20 years. These folks have to come out and maybe they'll repeat the same crime. But if they are educated in the least bit way, mm-hmm. they're probably much more equipped to finding they know that for a fact recidivism rates go way down way down the more educated the uh prisoners are in prison yes i mean some of these people are going in they don't even know how to read and and how are you supposed to function in a society based on those Mm -hmm. things if you can't even read and so if I'm sitting in my lovely palatial armchair Mm -hmm. thinking well you know screw that person they can't even read well then teach them to read. Right. And and if prison is supposed to be both a punishment and a rehab. Which it's not. Right. The rehab is the part that you're not dealing with. Yeah. It's just the punishment. Yeah. It's all fascinating. Mm-hmm. So let's get into you a little bit. What is your <laughs> what is your background, your childhood? How did it how oh. did you form obviously a woman of color mm-hmm. growing up in a society that may or may not have accepted that as you went along? Um, clearly very bright. Uh, how did how did your world uh, revolve around you? Okay. So the recognition of race being an issue when I was younger wasn't it. It was, the for me, the gender issue. Mm-hmm. Um, in my household, the men had the power. Mm-hmm. My brothers had the power. My father had the power. Um, my mother and I were the ones, though, who kind of manipulated the power. How do you mean? Um, so um, if you're only giving an allowance of this amount of money for food and you realize, but someone still needs a pair of shoes, you figure out a way to cut down on which food to have enough money to buy the shoes. Um, and so she and I were like partners raising these kids. Um, and my father did not wish for me to go to college at all. He, they, that's not for women, it's really for men. Um, and I had a cousin who went off to college and kind of like a mentor kind of watching her. She's a few years older than I am. I'm like, what? I, I can go, she can go, I can go, you know. Um, and my mother behind the scenes helped me to fill out the financial aid forms and bingo, I wound up in college. Um, when I went for my master's, um, it was only because that my husband at that time had a master's, so it was okay for me to get it. But when I went for my PhD, he was clearly against this. Um, and to do the doctorate, it was a two hour one way drive um, to get from my house to the school, University of Pittsburgh. Um, and I had a little boy at home, and I was married, and he was just totally against this. Um, you don't need it. Well, I had a I had a master's in psych. You can't go far with a master's in psych. Not much you can do with that. You can do counseling, but you're always kind of stuck at this level. 
Um, and I wanted to learn more. And so I go off and I do my doctorate. Um, I was a very sheltered child. Um, I had a lisp up until I got into second grade. Didn't even know what a lisp was. I, just the way my mother said, that's just the way she talks, you know, <laughs> and found out, no, you got to kind of get rid of that. So I didn't speak up a lot. I was, I, um, I would get teased when I would talk, so I wouldn't talk, right? Um, and I was also very little and small. I and mean, when you have a lisp and you're small, people treat you much younger. Your peers even treat you. I was the kid that the kindergartners put in the carriage and pushed. I hated that little carriage. Um, so um, so I, I actually would say I got my voice while I went to, when I went to college. I um, learned a lot about other people, other cultures. It was a Catholic school. Learned a lot about Catholicism. I was a churchgoer. Were you Catholic? No. Oh, okay. I was Baptist, um, but I would go to the Catholic church because that's all they offered. Mm-hmm. Um, Great education, though. It really was. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot. Um, I learned that I didn't want to be a Catholic. Um, even then, I said, no, I'm not quite sure that the way they focus on women. I love the nuns. I just didn't like the powers differential for gender. Um, and some of the issues that at that time were coming out from the Pope. Um, but my roommates were Catholic. We all went to brunch, you know, church, then brunch. So um, then I went to yeshiva. Now, my father could not stand Jewish people. He worked for Jewish people. And all the stereotypes around working for Jewish people came out of his mouth. Um, but yeshiva really taught me about the, the pride and the power of religion. Um, it was something new for me to learn. Um, I learned mainly from the women. It's kind of a separation in Judaism, sure. or at least at the school I was going in to. In the more strict, and, and, I would say. Yes, sure. and more strict. Mm-hmm. Um, but I enjoyed what I learned. Um, but it was actually that, that, getting my master's in psych, really helped me to see that I really was more in love with the social work aspect, with the actual working with people, with the getting your hands dirty, with the, now I don't want just your presenting problem to someone coming to me. I want to really learn about the whole family dynamics and how can I help you and just the bigger picture and then how policies influence that. Um, So when I decided to do my doctorate, I did it in social work. Um, a lot of fun. Enjoy it. As you became more educated and learning about all these things, did you then uh, return back to home and say, hey, mom, these are the things I'm learning? Was she open to hearing about your growth? And, oh, and then yeah. in, in turn, your father, who was pretty adamant against it, um, how did he deal with you uh, developing, your mind mm-hmm. developing? Mm-hmm. Because I think the more you see the world, the more you shrink in a way. Uh, yeah, your yeah, mind grows, yeah. but you yourself, your personage shrinks because you become part of a global tribe instead mm-hmm. of an insular right. next door neighbor tribe. Yeah. So um, my mom was very proud. My mom was brilliant. Um, she worked um, in as a cashier for um, the uh, cleaners. My father worked for the same cleaners. And mm-hmm. like she would take the garments and would add them up before the cash register would do it. I mean, she's just brilliant. and. We very we always watched television, but you couldn't just sit there and watch TV. So we had the board games, the Monopoly, the card games, and um, and just keeping out bog- boggles. That's a word game, but they were all intellectually stimulating games. So, for example, I didn't have. Um, I love boggle. Yeah, I, yeah, but I didn't have like we had Candyland, but 
for her, it was no, got to get it up a little higher. So, um, you know, looking at words, looking at numbers, looking at, I mean, Monopoly, oh my gosh, you would have thought we were, had real money in our hands. Uh, Scrabble, those kinds of board games. So um, just intellectually stimulating games. And um, so me going to school was great. And we didn't talk about, you know, what I was learning in college. We talked more about how am I doing? Okay, because especially for my doctorate, I gotten really sick. So it was okay. So how are you doing? And if I started talking about when well, you know the social class was awful, and I you know I, I I did the reading, but I didn't remember anything, so I didn't talk that much in class. And um, and she would just say things like, okay, but you have health issues. What could you have said that you didn't say? You know. And then I would like all of it would come back to me, and she would just sit, sit on the phone and go, yeah, uh huh, uh-huh. you know, just. She was a good listener. She's a good teacher. And she's a good teacher, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she got pregnant when she was 15 and um, with, my father, with my father and, um, you know, had a, a total of actually 10 children. Six of us survived. And so it's, it's a woman who I always saw as, you know, she's a fighter. She's a doer, but she's a really good teacher. There were, I mean, there were things that I say to my kids that in that mommy book, you know, um, that I said I would never ever say, um, like because I said so, um, <laughs> and so. But I try to do what my mother would do, which is like because I said so, and then she would say because if mm. you don't do that, this this and this won't get done. So mm. I always try to kind of take Explain. it a little further, sure. you know, with because that's how she would do for me, mm. and it wouldn't just be you know because I said so. She and would always, that. yeah, and that was that. And then I'd go away pouting. It was always, because gradually, if you don't do that, then you know we're going to be late to do this and this and this. And, um, you know, she was, a, she was a good woman. And she was a good wife. She stayed with my father until he passed away first. Um, and she passed away two years later. Mm. Um, How was your relationship with your father as you became more uh, ensconced in, in, in um, the world of academia? I would say that... Um, of all the kids, I challenged my father more, which is probably why they had always said, well, if mom passes, who will dad go to? And they looked at me and I said, no, no, I <laughs> just thought. Uh, Were you the only girl? Been, no, and I had two younger. The, so the other girls are younger and one boy was younger. So it was always taking care of those, sure. right? Okay. Um, but no, I, um, my father, I, I, I would guess it was hard because he pitted us kids against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, intellectually? Or? Intellectually. He would, he would like, um, my brother would come home and he'd get you know, like A's and he was like, yeah, Jeffrey got all A's. What'd you get? And I don't share my grades with my father. I just don't because as, as a child growing up, I knew somehow he would pit it against each other. And so I just stopped sharing that kind of information. Um, I don't know if he was proud. Um, I knew he would brag, but never to me. Um, and it would be like maybe I'd be around his boss's wife who would say, oh, yeah, I hear you're doing very well in school or I heard you got into yeshiva. And that's how I would hear about him bragging. Um, so he was proud for sure. He was proud for sure. but And I wonder, but I too, know. you know, like I look at my parents. They're from an absolutely totally different generation. Your mm-hmm. parents are from this totally different generation. And the world was different. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so there, I have to... I don't know your father. Mm-hmm. Having no, know you for a brief amount of time, and you obviously have a very strong presence of mind and just personage, mm-hmm. um, that for him and the things he probably witnessed, uh, to see 
his children to, to instill in that, that competitiveness is mm-hmm. like, you, mm-hmm. you have to do better right. because you're not getting an advantage. You weren't born in, well, you know, a, you know, a white guy or whatever. Yeah. And we joke like, Oh, mm-hmm. the white guys, you know, they get everything. And, but I mean, there's, there's a reason behind that joke. Mm-hmm. So is that, part well, it's, of it's funny. My mother always said that, you know, I knew you were going to do something every time your father said no. <laughs> and I didn't notice that. But when I look back at some of the steps that I've taken, it's always been, you know, he's, nah, you can't do that. You're a woman. You know, girls shouldn't do that. Girls shouldn't do that. I would go ahead and do it. You know, I joined the softball team. You can't play ball. Um, it was really odd. I was invited to, to be on the softball team, and I didn't know what softball was. I actually thought it was just a word for women the same as baseball, but That's just for I women, right? Little. <laughs> and little did I know so that funny. the ball is huge yeah. and hurts more. Yeah. And I didn't understand why. I played, I played baseball with my brother, stickball yeah. with my brother. So this is just not the same. And, and it's a really big hard ball. Um, and I just didn't understand it because I went thinking I was going to play baseball. Um, and girls were not allowed to do, we weren't allowed to do sports and we were not allowed to go oh, go to a go away camp, like a sleepover camp or any kind of a camp. The girls right? in your family? Yeah, not mm-hmm. even day camp. Um, so I actually was sent, believe it or not, to summer school. There was no reason for me to go to summer school, but um, I couldn't go to camp. So my mother felt, you know, go to summer school. It was, it was not a good thing because I'm there with kids who really need an education and had behavioral issues, and that's why they're there. And what happened was the teacher kind of made me an assistant teacher in the end. Um, so I had a little power, and folks wouldn't pick on me as much. Everybody picked on me, but you know, even growing up, the, the harassment I got for being little. and um, But the, the power to <laughs> be in a spot where you're not going to get out of here unless your grade is doing well, and you have to treat me nice because I'm tutoring you. It was great power. Um, at the end, the entire class got to go to, it, was called, it wasn't called Great Adventures, Palisades Park, I think it was called at the time, um, to an amusement park. And so for me, it was kind of like camping, but every day I was real nervous about going into the school. It was, was not my regular school. They kind of housed summer school in one school. That wasn't even, I had a long walk to get there. Um, but I was always placed in these unusual positions because of gender. Um, it was, you know, I wash the dishes. That's my job. Saturdays, it's laundry. And you got, you got five kids living in a house. That's a full laundry day. What would I say? Kids go on outside and play. And mom and I would do laundry while she cooked. And we'd switch sometimes. But, you know, iron and all this sh- Oh, that, that's when you had to iron sheets. Oh, so, so um, it do it, not go to my house yeah. and look at my closet. <laughs> no, it's probably why I don't iron no, to this day. Yeah, I just kind of <laughs> hang stuff up. And the wrinkles might fall. This is a good thing, you know. But um, mm-hmm. it was just a, a it was a very loving household because of my mother, um, and all that she did to get us kind of what we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my brother started dating and he was, he was dating a girl and he wanted to like buy her jewelry and stuff and mom would just kind of set money aside and oh here's an I had an extra five you know just knowing he was mm-hmm. doing you know doing that um, I became a candy striper at 14 and that really brought me out into the real world because it was before OSHA regulations mm-hmm. oh. um, 
And my mother supported me through that whole thing. My shoes were the most shiniest shoes. My cap was the best starched cap. Um, that I just love that pink striped dress. I don't know why. To, to me, it was a fashion statement um, that went wrong. But I love that pink striped dress. Um, but I also liked the responsibility when I got to the hospital because I was always, and that's just me, I go the extra mile. Um, but that's when I saw true, true poverty um, with, with, you know, whole families coming in with illnesses and sickness. And um, I liked working in the emergency room, pediatric. Um, when, you, when you accrued so many hours, you could actually um, sit and watch a, a surgery. Um, and so I got, I think three times I got to watch a surgery. Um, so your, your empathy was being developed from really a young age because you said that um, you were sick in college and when you were getting your doctorate, you had moments of being sick. Yeah, yeah I, I've and, always had health issues, yeah. Yeah, and uh -huh. so to work in a hospital surrounded by sick people, mm -hmm. again, we as a culture, and I'm going to speak to America because that's where I live, mm -hmm. as a culture, we're very afraid of sickness, mm -hmm. we're very afraid of the elderly, mm -hmm. uh, things that we don't understand or can't touch, yeah. and, you know, in our own hearts. And I think that the, the fact that you had that experience, you know, you were surrounded by that, and it was informing you as well. as well exactly um i mean we even did changing bedpans i mean no gloves just changing bedpans we didn't have, you didn't even you didn't even have gloves at the yeah. time right in the hospital um so so that kind of stuff doesn't bother me and i wish you know more people had an experience like that where they really have to think about the other in a very very uh, different way. I remember I was sitting on the edge of a bed and a woman was um, looking in the mirror and I said, I bet you that's a beautiful picture. And I thought she was looking at it. It looked like a picture frame to me. And she looked at me and then she started crying. She goes, oh, I'm so old. I'm going wrinkly. I'm not, I'm not going to last much longer. I know this. She said, but you're right. It is a beautiful picture. And then she turned it around. It was a mirror. And, oh, and I know, right? So and she's and she's much, much older. And I said, oh, but I actually think the most pretty picture, and I just turned the thing up, is that one to her, not even realizing. And I go in the next day and she's passed. And I think about that last conversation I had with the person. So many times I say to the kids, you know, we don't leave the house unless we kiss and say, I love you. Because you just never know when that last time is with that last person. And working in the hospital, I got to see death a lot. Um, even children. The, whole, the part that would hurt me was in children when children pass. Um, but I loved it. I did it from 14 until about 19. Um, and it was a lot of, to me, it was a lot. I was actually going to be that, you know, famous. I was first, I was going to be a nurse, but then I wanted to be the doctor because in the hospital I saw the doctors had power. Um, even though the nurses know everything. Even though the nurses know everything. Yeah. Yeah. I love the nurses. Um, man, it's, it's great. Were your brothers, did they absorb any of your uh, father's idea of hierarchy? Or did or did they come into their own and, and realize that, oh, hey, sister's kicking butt and mm -hmm. women are pretty cool? And, you know. I thought all my brothers marry pretty successful women. Yeah. So I don't, I don't see good. that at all. Yeah. Um, and... And race was not an issue. My eldest brother married a, a white female, my um, Irish. Um, my father had a whole lot of issues around that. Around Irish? Ooh, around yeah, around, around him marrying a white yeah, interracial marriage. Um, and that was not an era where you, you had, it was the, 
I think I would have probably in the early 70s. Mm. Um, my other brother married a, uh, well, his first wife was from America, but the second wife is from England, mm-hmm. um, London, England. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, so they, just doing that alone meant they, they think very differently. Yeah. Um, they both yeah. respected their wives and, um, and my brother Jeffrey as well. So, um, you know, I look at the three of them yeah. and they, that patriarchal, it might've been with my eldest brother. I don't see it. I, I watch his daughters now and I watch their relationships. I don't see that as mm-hmm. much. It probably was there, but I just don't see it. We so, don't have yeah. to take on our parents' ideologies. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the, the beautiful thing is, as when we are individuals, mm-hmm. is we get to decide, mm-hmm. we get to pick and choose. And you said something in the beginning of our discussion about um, with the kids that come to you here that learning who they you know going and hearing other cultures and understanding mm-hmm. things that are different that word other 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 and it for me the goal of course is to is to try and create a world where I look at you and I see same before I see different mm-hmm. I see same because you know, we both love to read we're mm-hmm. both women mm-hmm. you know we both like to you know all the things that we are the same instead of operating from a place like oh you know you you've got a little darker pigment in your mm-hmm, skin mm-hmm. or you're wearing glasses mm-hmm, or you know mm-hmm. whatever I'm I'm a giant you mm-hmm. know and you're smaller than me or whatever it is right. um that being said I mean my my parents uh my father has quirks in that you know he's a Jewish man and so the Germans you know he, he freaks mm-hmm. out still and mm-hmm. he was born in 1931 mm-hmm. so he saw this whole history unfold right. and uh and and I remember going on a date once with a German guy. I brought this up before in the podcast. And uh, he's like, German? You know, he sort of gets frozen. He's like, you know, Dad, you cannot hold one person accountable for, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. someone else's behavior or a group of people's behavior. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to be seen for what they are or who they are. Um, I don't know where I was going with that other than yeah, but I think it's good that when parents don't give that to their children. or right. and my mother would say, oh, well, her parents apparently were racist Mm -hmm. but they didn't teach her to be racist Mm -hmm. and I said well that's also on you mom that you didn't decide fall into it right exactly so on you in a good way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. man life is is it's such a navigation um I had written in my notes uh, I know that in uh in one of the ivy colleges I don't know if I'm allowed to say it or not but (laughs) that there was an issue about um black students the black faculty advisors spending all their time trying to help the black students in, mm-hmm. in dealing with some of the things that were going on around them. Um, and that uh, I, I follow a lot of the, tw- the Twitter accounts of various people. And one of the professors said, you know, I had such a hard day. Um, a lot of the kids came to me and they had been, you know, somebody had said something to this mm-hmm. kid or mm-hmm. somebody had treated this kid a certain way. I didn't even get to the project I was working on. And the other professor who happened to be white said, man, I had a great day. I worked on my book all day mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that the person who was tweeting said, you know, and I understood like, oh, wow, you don't have to deal with that stuff because no one's coming to you mm-hmm. saying, help me just navigate my day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the one thing I, I, so I mentor a lot of the junior faculty as well. They, you know, they'll come, they'll ask me questions, you know, how to get through tenure and all that kind of stuff. And, and I will always say focusing on teaching and research. 
and these students are going to flock you. If you're female and there are female issues going on on campus, they're going to flock you um, because you're closer in their age. Um, if it's a race issue, they're going to flock you. If they're LGBT issues, they're going to find that LGBT professor or, or an ally that's sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other resources on campus, too. So if you have those issues, bring them to me. Bring them to the Multicultural Affairs Director. Bring it to the Counseling Center. Um, don't let the weight and the responsibility fall on your shoulders only. And that's the way it used to be here, which meant that a lot of our, especially um, junior faculty who are of color, because the students would flock to them, their teaching might glow, but their research would, would be the one that would suffer. Right. Um, and so, they need that for tenure. Exactly. So I've um, cautioned students, you know, if you want that person for tenure, you know, and they may not get tenure while you're here in your four years, then invite them to one or two things per year. But don't let them be your speaker every time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're having a, a rough time, go to them. But when they give you the advice of going to the counselor or going to me or going to a multicultural take that advice don't let that be the weight on their shoulder because they have a lot of other things that they need to do um but here now first year as you're walking in the door you get to know me you get to the multicultural affair and the religious director um because we're part of orientation so now they know which administrator to go to as opposed to going to a faculty they still go to faculty um Many times it's on an intellectual level. You know, this happened to me. This was the microaggression. You know, what do you think about that? Um, and be able to articulate it. When um, this was many, many years ago, before I even got this position, we had a uh, blackface incident. Okay, so a person for Halloween um, dressed in blackface. Now, the great part about that was what the campus learned. Mm-hmm. So my students called me at night, and I wasn't even doing this diversity work at the time. Um, I worked in the community center, um, the college's community center. And I'm getting these calls as a student who wore blackface, at a, and his whole Halloween costume was uh, some pimp that had been in a movie, and he was trying to emulate this pimp. Um, so he had the black afro and the black face. And um, black... Black, two black males kind of called him over and kind of gave him an education. You know, you got to get that off. It's not a good thing. But people had heard about it, and he went to try to get it off. Um, But when I got the black students to me, okay, you know this is bad. Articulate why. And they couldn't. That is fascinating. Okay. Okay. So I gave them a bank of computers, because that's what I had. I was working in computer center. Okay, now your job is to go on the computers and find it out. I'm not going to tell you. Because I could have easily just taught it to them. They needed to do the research on their own. You have to know who you are. Exactly. Because they wanted to do a speak out on it. And I said, because your job is to educate the campus. The fact that the biggest problem was that he had been, this young man had been to a lot of places, and no one stopped him. No one said, don't go out that door. You really shouldn't be dressed like that. Um, and it was great because they got up there, and these weren't just black students. These were black and white students who got up at the speak out and could speak about it and articulate it in, in a historical manner. Okay, The black students were the ones that led the thing, but it was white students who also wanted to be part of the, the speak out. Um, one of the best days I had on campus, as much as I talk about, yeah, we had a blackface incident. One of the best days I had on campus because everybody got educated at that point. Um, and for me, that's what it is. It's an ed, ed, People do ignorant things. 
if you're doing an ignorant thing, let's educate you on why it's why you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Number one, it's effect on people, how it may hurt, and what is it that you can do to help remedy the situation? Right. I I think too, even using the word microaggression starts getting dicey because it's just an if somebody is perceiving something, if it's hurtful for them, it's an aggression. Micro yeah. macro Mac, micro macro is, not but yes. we, we we come up with these languages yes. to inform what we're trying to say. Right. I think in a way to, to again, the coddling aspect mm-hmm. is like, Oh well if we call it this, people maybe will it, it's not a huge deal, mm-hmm. but it's a little deal. But it I mean to it, the person it's a, that it's affecting it's a big deal. It's just a yeah. deal. Yes. It's a deal. It's a deal. And, and it's interesting. Until that word became um, popular, yes. I'm going to use the word popular, people had the feelings but didn't know what to do with it. You know, am I being too sensitive because that person came by and touched my hair? <laughs> okay? No, I'm not being. It, it's a bothersome. And it wasn't until the word microaggression, the label, helped people like me to articulate that to folks by the way this is a microaggression not by the way i don't particularly care for you to touch my hair it's not only that it's a microaggression and you you're touching my hair because it's different and because i'm black and you wouldn't do that to another person and you're a stranger so just kind of get your hands off um and it's you know, in that moment, it might be really hard to do an education because it because your anger is just flaring in that moment. But there is a way to get it across that what you're doing, your behavior is wrong. All right. We wouldn't want anybody to come up and touch our breasts or our butt. Right. So don't touch my hair. Not without dinner first. <laughs> I would want a little more than that. <laughs> I don't want, I, you, this is so wonderful, and uh, I want to get to your book. You, uh, there is a, an interesting relationship between a... So he's right there. Um, oh, there, <laughs> yeah, he there he is. Oh, a handsome feller. He is. Uh, so it's Moses Viney. He Moses was an, Viney. He was an escaped slave. Um, he escaped slavery. That's how I try to make sure I educate folks right Um the, la- the, the label slave, or, slave was put upon us. I knew it was going to rain. Um, okay, I know we've taken a bunch of your time. That's okay. was put upon us. And so um, he escaped slavery, um, wound up here in Schenectady, wound up working for the president of the college. Um, the president did not know he was an escaped slave. Um, he goes into Schenectady and sees his master and he realizes his master is looking for him. Um, and so the president and he, the president of this college, the president, president, not Eliphalet, not, um, figured out a way to number one, had to send him to Canada. He made an offer to buy his freedom. And the, it, the man came up with an exorbitant amount of money, the sli- or the, the, the master. master. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, we wound up, he wound up heading up to Canada thinking it'd be a few months turned out to be two, almost two years. Um, and then their relationship. Um, so the reason why I share this story is after Moses Viney, the la- and then when he finally got his freedom, he worked for the president and really helped him through some health issues and all. Um, but once he got his freedom, um, he became kind of a pillar of the college. Um, but the next person in line to work very closely with the president, who was a person of color, was me. And I just didn't want his story to get lost. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's called a bonded friendship. Mm-hmm. 
and it is available on Amazon at Barnes and Noble online too. I'll, I'll put it, links on my Hey Human podcast page as well, so y'all can find it. Gretchel, thank you. Thank it you. Has been my pleasure. All right, no, my pleasure.